My name is Erin Kenny. I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking all about acid reflux and GERD. I'm going to go over conventional medicine treatment, especially the use of proton pump inhibitors. I'm going to talk about natural approaches to treatment, and I'm also going to heavily focus on the root cause as to why you might have these reflux and GERD type symptoms. I personally struggled with acid reflux for several years. I was on omeprazole for about two years to manage symptoms, and if you've ever been on a proton pump inhibitor long-term, you may have experienced that at first, you may have felt really good, and then before you know it, you're feeling worse, your bowel movements look worse, and you're B12 deficient. We will come back to that. So acid reflux and gastroesophageal reflux disease, GERD, are common conditions that affect the digestive system. They are caused by the reflux of stomach acid into the esophagus, which can cause symptoms like heartburn, chest pain, a sour taste in your mouth. And then there's also silent reflux, which could be people clearing their throat all the time, having that kind of sensation of not being able to swallow in your in the back of your throat, feeling like there's something stuck there. So there's a lot of different symptoms that you might not even realize are related to reflux. Acid reflux occurs when that little lower esophageal sphincter, which is a muscle that acts as a valve between the esophagus and the stomach, it just doesn't close properly. And because it's not closing properly, it's allowing acid to leak back into the esophagus. GERD, on the other hand, is basically just a term that is describing a more severe and chronic form of acid reflux. People with GERD experience acid reflux symptoms, usually at least twice a week, and the symptoms may interfere with their daily activities. So in terms of risk factors for GERD, there are several things that can increase the likelihood of acid reflux and GERD, which are things that we kind of know from just conventional medicine, that if you were to go to your doctor, these are the things that they would have as red flags if you came in complaining of symptoms. So the first one is alcohol consumption, smoking, and then pregnancy, obesity, and diet. So eating a lot of fatty foods, a lot of spicy foods, fried foods, these are all pretty first-line recommendations for any doctor who is treating a patient with GERD. And then, of course, they will include treatment that is addressing the root cause. So for pregnancy, not much you can do there other than manage with pregnancy-safe type of remedies, things like apple cider vinegar, uh, making sure you're having regular bowel movements because constipation can contribute to reflux, but limiting alcohol, removing caffeine, not putting sriracha on everything that you eat. These are just a few lifestyle tips that they might tell you. 
On the other hand, it's a really interesting part of the discussion is that low stomach acid, known as hypochlorhydria, can also cause reflux. So stomach acid is incredibly necessary. And I think that's a really important point to make in this episode is when we think of acid in the stomach, we think, oh my gosh, acid's bad. We don't want too much of it. It can cause symptoms. But what about the other side of things? Acid is incredibly important for the absorption of nutrients like B12 and calcium. It helps to break down proteins and components of our food. So if we don't have enough stomach acid, we are actually at risk for nutrient deficiencies, and we also are at higher risk for what is known as small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And why is this? Stomach acid actually kills harmful bacteria in the gut. So if we don't have enough stomach acid to kill the bacteria, the bacteria can overgrow, leading to the production of more gas and increasing the risk of reflux. Additionally, low stomach acid can lead to the relaxation of that lower esophageal sphincter, that little gate, we'll call it, which is that muscle that acts as the valve. So that can also lead to reflux of stomach acid in the esophagus. And there are many things that can cause a low stomach acid um, from certain nutrient deficiencies or protein deficiency, as well as stress. Stress is a huge part of stomach acid. So remembering that lifestyle, diet, they're all incredibly important. So if you're living a highly stressful lifestyle, especially eating when you're stressed a lot of the time, you're not optimizing the environment in your intestines for digestion. There's not really a test for low stomach acid. It is one of those things that, you know, we can kind of guess from a stool test that that's why we might see overgrowth of bacteria. We might also notice that you're burping a lot and belching and you find that when you eat protein, it just seems to kind of stick around. You feel like it's kind of lodged in there and nothing's really moving. Those are all signs of low stomach acid. There is a baking soda test. I've talked to a lot of clients about this, but unfortunately it's not foolproof. You basically would first thing in the morning, drink some baking soda in water, and then you'd set a timer and you're going to look to see if you have any belching after that. The way to do it that is, I would say, more accurate in terms of determining if you would benefit from more stomach acid is to supplement with betaine HCL, which is literally just supplemental stomach acid. So that's the low stomach acid side of things. And I can't even, the organization side of this episode is going to be incredibly challenging because there's so many different areas to include, like the fact that different pathogens like SIBO and candida, yeast overgrowth, parasites, these can all cause low stomach acid. They can cause overproduction of stomach acid. They can cause inflammation in the gut and food sensitivities. So it's not a simple process as is anything in nutrition, which I'm sure you've picked up on by now if you've been listening to my podcast for a while. Now let's discuss diagnosis briefly for GERD, right? So this is the more chronic form of reflux. 
So for diagnosis of GERD, the most common thing that I see in my practice is the upper endoscopy. So your, your doctor's basically inserting a thin, flexible tube with a light and a camera down your throat. And this just helps to the provider see inside your esophagus and your stomach. And what they're looking for is they're looking for inflammation. They might do a sample of tissue, uh, like a biopsy, to be tested for certain complications or unusual cells in the lining of your GI tract. And they also might be looking for Barrett's esophagus, which is the more serious condition and long-term result of unresolved acid reflux. And then there's other tests like pH tests, x-ray tests, esophageal manometries, Um, These are not things that I commonly see in my practice, but you may have experienced them yourself. So that's the um, diagnosis side of things. Sometimes doctors will diagnose without even doing these types of testing just based on your symptoms. And the first line of treatment for what they'll typically recommend are known as proton pump inhibitors, so PPIs. In addition to that, there are H2 blockers, and then there's just your over-the-counter general antacids, so things like Tums. The proton pump inhibitors are the ones that I want to focus on today because these are the most commonly prescribed medications. These are the ones that I was on when I was struggling with acid reflux, and these are the ones that really have been shown in research to come with some long-term side effects. An important thing to note here is that the FDA has really only approved these medications for time periods of four to eight weeks. We'll just pause there. Every client that I've worked with has been on these medications for definitely longer than four to eight weeks, possibly even 10 to 20 years managing their symptoms. Some of the long-term impacts of these medications First include bone density loss. Proton pump inhibitors have been linked to a decrease in bone density and an increased risk of osteoporosis and fractures, particularly in older adults. When I think of this mechanism of action, it makes sense because your body needs stomach acid to absorb calcium, right? And we know that calcium is incredibly important for bone. And so if you're chronically lowering your stomach acid, that's putting you at a much higher risk for calcium deficiency. Number two is kidney disease. Long-term use of PPIs has been associated with increased risk of kidney disease and chronic kidney disease. PPIs have also been linked to increase in infections like Clostridium difficile, also known as C. diff, and pneumonia. I will never forget that when I was in my internship program as a dietitian, the long-term care facility that I worked in was just starting to get word of the current research on these harms of the long-term use of these medications. And because of that, I was seeing firsthand these clinicians really trying to pull their patients off of these medications because of how harmful they have been shown to be with long-term use. In addition to that, to infections, kidney disease, bone density loss, vitamin and mineral deficiencies. So because these medications can interfere with the absorption of certain vitamins and minerals like magnesium, calcium, B12... That is why we see vitamin and mineral nutrient deficiencies. In the the intro, I mentioned the B12 deficiency. Oftentimes, if you're on these medications long-term, physicians will say, hey, we're going to have you do 
B12 shot maybe once a month to kind of try to offset that. But there's all these other minerals and different things like magnesium and B12, I mean, and sorry, and calcium that are not being addressed and could be going unnoticed because we're not typically testing for those things. Other gastrointestinal complications can arise as well because of the fact that these PPIs can alter the gut microbiome and increase the risk of gut infections. And the most common example of this is the the prevalence of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth after being on these medications. So remember, stomach acid kills bacteria. If you don't have the the stomach acid there to do that, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth can occur. And then the last one is interactions with other medications. Proton pump inhibitors can interfere with certain medications such as blood thinners, iron supplements, and reduce their effectiveness. So bottom line is, is we really don't want to be on these medications long-term. A, they're not approved for more than four to eight weeks by the FDA, and we also want to figure out what's going on. Now, there are certain cases like patients who have EOE um, where maybe they've tried an elimination diet, they've done all the lifestyle stuff, they've maintained a healthy weight, they're not drinking alcohol, and they still have inflammation and they're still having these symptoms. So of course, just like anything, there's always going to be cases where medication is necessary. It's helping them with their quality of life. And I do not want to forget to mention that. However, for a lot of people, including myself and a lot of the patients that I work with, these medications are masking a symptom. And the symptom and the root cause are what we can gradually start to uncover as we heal the gut, remove any sort of infections, resolve constipation, figure out if there's thyroid issues, so many different things that play into this reflux conversation. So now I want to segue into the common reasons why I see patients coming in with reflux. And these are specifically the cases that they are able to come off their medications and be symptom-free. The first one is H. pylori. So H. pylori, Helicobacter pylori, is a type of bacteria that is also present in healthy adults or individuals, but it can overgrow. And it is the number one cause of peptic ulcer disease. So this is something that I test for in my practice with a stool test. So we can figure out if this has overgrown and we look at the other terrain of the bacteria. So we're looking at immune function and permeability to make sure that we're not just addressing H. pylori if it's overgrown, but we're also addressing the other things that are going on in the gut. In addition to that, I would say number two is stress. So there's like an 80 to 90% reduction in stomach acid when a person is chronically in fight or flight state. I can tell you that this for me was a big part of my reflux. And I did not want to believe that. (laughs) I thought that everything that I was doing was dietary related. So I was cutting out every single food, realizing that, hey, food might not have as much to do with it as I thought. Number three is diet and lifestyle. So diet, of course, is going to be very individualized. There are patients who might 
not tolerate certain foods like gluten or dairy, and this is causing them to have an increase in inflammation or indigestion for that person. So figuring out food sensitivities is really important. Working with a dietitian to do that, not relying on food sensitivity testing, um, eating regular meals, not eating in a state of stress. Those are also big factors that play into it. And then lifestyle. So drinking alcohol, absolutely. It kills healthy bacteria in your gut. It increases stomach acid. And it's just, it's not good for you. So we really want to practice moderation with alcohol. In addition to that, magnesium deficiency. Most of us are not getting enough magnesium. I personally choose to take a supplement, but there are tons of magnesium-rich foods that you can incorporate, things like spinach and almonds, avocados, green leafy vegetables. These are all great sources of magnesium. And then the last one is hypothyroidism. So we have hyper, where the thyroid is working very, very hard. That's where we tend to see more of a weight Loss, And then we have hypothyroid where we see the metabolism slowing down. This is where you're going to do a blood test for TSH, T3, T4, looking at a full thyroid panel. How well is your thyroid functioning? If you have low thyroid function, then you are also probably going to struggle with constipation, maybe reflux disease and other symptoms like feeling cold all the time, maybe weight changes, mood changes, and many other things that can show up for different people. So those are just a few. And when I work with patients, I'm looking at their health history form and I'm looking at their diet. I'm looking at their lifestyle. I'm asking them, are you eating at your desk while you're stressed and trying to get work done and meet deadlines? Are you constantly in a fight or flight mode? You know, asking these questions, understanding, you know, all of the different factors that could possibly be going into their root cause. And this might include stool testing, blood testing, hormone testing, looking at their medications, and so forth. So once we've talked about diet, lifestyle, environment around meals, meal timing, balancing the meals, all of those really foundational aspects to nutrition, we can start to look at alternative remedies and more of a functional medicine approach to treatment. Starting with probiotics, there is some evidence from preliminary studies and clinical trials that probiotics may be effective in reducing symptoms of acid reflux and GERD. Now, these preliminary studies have found that these certain probiotic strains can help to improve gut health and reduce the symptoms. And the mechanism of action of which this could be the case, it could be reducing inflammation, it could be assisting with digestive function if the patient has low stomach acid, it could be helping to manage the pathogen overgrowth. There's so many different ways that we could propose this. The specific strains that were used in these studies include Lactobacillus acidophilus, Bifidobacterium bifidum, and Lactobacillus plantarum. The second natural remedy is apple cider vinegar. Apple cider vinegar really had a big blow up for kind of like more fad types of things. They had gummies. There was a lot of claims about weight loss. 
And there really is limited scientific evidence to support many claims related to apple cider vinegar. However, there's a lot of anecdotal reports and a lot of anecdotal reports from my clients as well. It is something that might help to neutralize stomach acid. Getting apple cider vinegar with the mother might help with stimulating digestion and breaking down certain compounds from food. But it is important to note that for some patients, apple cider vinegar can actually make things worse. So that's why you always want to take it case by case basis. But a few small studies have suggested that it may have beneficial effects on reflux symptoms. So the way that I typically suggest using it with patients, oftentimes patients with low stomach acid, for example, is having them just dilute a very small amount, like a teaspoon, in some warm water, maybe around three ounces of warm water before consuming a meal. This, of course, is very individualized, as is everything. I know I say it all the time, but always speak with your doctor as apple cider vinegar can also interact with certain medications. The third natural remedy that I often use with my patients who have reflux is mucilaginous herbs. So mucilaginous herbs are incredibly powerful. They include marshmallow root and slippery elm. And these herbs basically derive their properties from the polysaccharides that they contain. So these polysaccharides have a slippery, like a mild taste, and they actually swell in water, producing a gel-like mass. And that can be used to protect irritated tissue in the body and especially in the upper and lower respiratory tract and lower GI tract. So if you look at, say, like a throat coat tea, I love the one by Traditional Medicinals. It's a, it's, it contains a lot of these mucilaginous herbs, and it's meant to help with a sore throat, but it can also help with soothing the digestive tract. So I recommend that to clients, and I love drinking it. It's got a really nice natural sweetness to it. The research on these herbs, um, there's like a few preliminary studies on some of them, like slippery elm. There, there's some um, just limited scientific evidence on them in terms of their usefulness for specifically acid reflux, but there is a good amount of research on just their overall um, healthy benefits for uh, human health. Now, there are several other natural remedies that I might use, things like ginger. Ginger has been used for centuries as a natural remedy for digestive issues, including acid reflux. And some studies have found that ginger can help to reduce inflammation and relax the smooth muscles in the GI tract. I love ginger. It's also a natural prokinetic, meaning that it helps to stimulate digestion. So a lot of times patients um, who struggle with chronic constipation um, might benefit from ginger because of its ability to do so. Fresh ginger is great. You can do ginger tea. You can do ginger tinctures. Um, fresh ginger in a smoothie with like some pineapple and coconut milk is really delicious. And then the second one is aloe. Um, I love aloe. I've actually been using little frozen bits of aloe from the store in smoothies, but you can get aloe juice. And aloe vera has really been used for centuries as a, as a natural remedy for digestive problems. 
It can act as a mild laxative, so you do want to be very careful when approaching aloe. Um, some research does show that it can help reduce inflammation in the digestive tract and promote healing of the esophagus. Probiotics, we already talked about those, but probiotic-rich foods can be discussed in this conversation. Probiotic-rich foods aren't always well tolerated for everybody, especially people who have candida or SIBO. It might actually exacerbate their reflux symptoms, so I did want to mention that as well. D-limiline, this is a natural compound found in citrus fruits that has been shown to have a neutralizing effect on stomach acid, and it's also a constituent found in the cannabis plant. Just a little fun fact. But some studies have found that taking supplements containing D-limonene can help to reduce symptoms of acid reflux. The last supplement is melatonin. And many of you may be familiar with melatonin as a sleep aid, but it's a natural hormone produced in the body by the pineal gland. And it's a hormone that regulates our sleep-wake cycles. Now, I've designed a... whole protocol for patients who are looking to wean off of proton pump inhibitors, and I will start them on melatonin several weeks before going off of their PPIs. Of course, we're working with their doctor in this process, but melatonin is really great. Some research shows that it can help to strengthen the lower esophageal sphincter. And then there are studies that have also found melatonin can help reduce symptoms of reflux by promoting relaxation of the smooth muscle in the digestive tract. A very important point to make here too is that a lot of people aren't aware that there's what is known as the rebound effect when you're coming off of these medications. So if you try to go cold turkey on an acid reducer medication, then your body actually overproduces acid to compensate. And that's the rebound effect. So when when tapering off a PPI, there is a specific way to do so. You're gradually decreasing the dose. You then alternate your, your medication day on, day off. And in addition to that, when I'm working with patients, prior to even doing that wean, we're looking at SIBO, we're looking at lifestyle, we're looking at diet, we're making sure they're moving their bowels every day. Before we even consider having them having us work as a team to come off of their medication. So it's really important to keep that in mind that if you're feeling discouraged because you tried to come off and you felt horrible, that there's a scientific explanation for that. And you also want to make sure that you're doing this in a stepwise fashion. So always talk to your doctor about this. This is not medical advice. These are just different tips that I've used in my medical nutrition therapy practice that have been very successful for clients and for my own healing journey. And lastly, there are so many other areas of this conversation that we could not possibly go into today. Things like EOE, more in depth about hiatal hernias, I do have a podcast episode on hiatal hernias, but there are other causes of acid reflux that are not discussed here. These are really the modifiable, possibly treatable conditions that can actually get people off of these medications that could be making things worse for them. So there are three key things that I also want to leave you with. Number one is that if you are on this journey, please, 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 please 
work with a team, work with a dietitian, a gastroenterologist, possibly a therapist if mental health is part of your journey and know that that is the way to receive the most thorough care. Number two is that this process takes time. This process takes a lot of time, especially if you've been on medications and managing symptoms for a while without treating the root cause, then it's like peeling back layers of an onion, but please do not lose hope. I really do believe that so many people can at least feel better than they do feel through diet and lifestyle and natural and herbal remedies. And the last takeaway is that I work with a lot of patients who have reflux and GERD, and they are also patients who join my group coaching program. So if you're interested, you're looking for more help, you're looking for that really important piece of the puzzle of healing, you can go to my website, nutritionrewire.com, and I'd love to chat with you. Just book a discovery call. It's free, 15 minutes. I want to hear about your journey and see if there's anything I can do to help you. So thanks for tuning in. And as always, don't forget to share the health.